0: This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. To find out more or to volunteer, please visit librivox.org. Recording by Becky Cook. Commentaries on the Gallic War by Julius Caesar, translated by Thomas Rice Holmes. Book 1, chapters 30 through 41. On the conclusion of the campaign against the Helvetii, envoys from almost every part of Gaul The leading men of their respective tribes came to congratulate caesar they were aware they said that if he had exacted atonement from the helvetii by the sword for the wrongs they had done in the past to the roman people yet his action was just as much to the advantage of the gaul as of the romans for though the helvetii were perfectly well off they had quitted their own abode with the intention of attacking the whole of gaul usurping dominion selecting for occupation out of numerous tracts the one which they deemed the most suitable and the most fertile in the whole country and making the other tribes their tributaries The envoys begged to be allowed to convene with caesar's express sanction a pan-gallic council for a particular day representing that they had certain favors to ask of him after their substance was unanimously agreed upon their request being granted they fixed a date for the council and bound themselves mutually by oath not to disclose its proceedings without official sanction After the council had broken up, the tribal leaders who had been closeted with Caesar before returned, and asked permission to discuss with him privately, in a place secluded from observation, matters which concerned their own and the commonwealth. The request being acceded to, they all prostrated themselves with tears at Caesar's feet. They told him that it was their aim and endeavor to prevent what they said from being disclosed, no less than to obtain the favors they desired, because they saw that if they were disclosed, they would incur the most cruel punishment. Their spokesman was the Aduan de Vicaiacus. Gaul, he said, comprised as a whole two rival groups, the Aduai being the overlords of one, and the Arverni of the other. The two tribes had been struggling hard for supremacy for many years when it happened that the Arverni and the Sequani hired Germans to join them. About fifteen thousand had crossed the Rhine in the first instance, but the rude barbarians conceived a passion for the lands, the civilization, and the wealth of the Gauls, and afterwards more crossed over, the number at that time in Gaul amounting to twenty thousand. The Aedui and their dependents had accounted them repeatedly, and had been beaten, and had suffered a great disaster, losing all their men of rank, all their council, and all their knighthood. Overwhelmed by these disastrous defeats, they whose prowess and whose hospitable and amicable relations with the roman people had before made them supreme in gaul had been forced to give as hostages to the sequani their most illustrious citizens and to bind the tribe by oath not to attempt to recover the hostages or to solicit aid from the roman people and to remain for without demur beneath the sovereign powers of their conquerors he himself was the only man of the whole Aduan community who could not be prevailed upon to take the oath or to give his children as hostages He had therefore fled from his country and gone to Rome to claim assistance from the Senate, because he alone was not bound either by oath or surrender of hostages. A worse fate, however, had befallen the victorious Sequani than the beaten Aedui, for Ariovistus, king of the Germans, had settled in their country and seized one-third of the Sequanian territory, the best land in the whole of Gaul and now he insisted that the Sequani should quit another third, because a few months previously twenty-four thousand Heruds had joined him, and he had to find a place for them to settle in. Within a few years the whole population of Gaul would be expatriated, and the Germans would all cross the Rhine, for there was no comparison between the land of the Gauls and that of the Germans, or between the standard of living of the former and that of the latter. Ariovistus, having defeated the united Gallic forces in one battle which took place at Mage de Briga, was exercising his authority with arrogance and cruelty, demanding from every man of rank his children as hostages, and inflicting upon them all kinds of cruel punishments if the least intimation of his will were not obeyed. The man was a ferocious, headstrong savage, and it was impossible to endure his dictation any longer. Unless Caesar and the Roman people could help them, the Gauls must all do as the Helvetii had done leave house and home, seek another abode, other settlements, out of reach of the Germans, and take their chance of whatever might befall them. If his words were reported to Ariovistus, he had no doubt that he would inflict the heaviest penalty upon all the hostages in his keeping. Caesar, by his prestige and that of his army, or by his late victory, or by the weight of the Roman name, could deter any fresh host of Germans from crossing the Rhine, and protect the whole of Gaul from the outrageous conduct of Ariovistus. After Divicaecus had made his speech, all who were present began to weep bitterly and to entreat Caesar for help. He noticed that the Sequani alone did not behave like the rest, but remained mournfully looking down, with heads bowed. In astonishment he asked them what was the reason of this behavior. The Sequani made no reply, but remained without uttering in the same mournful mood. After he had questioned them repeatedly, without being able to get a single word out of them, the Edoan, Divicaecus, again answered, The lot of the Sequani, he explained, was more pitiable and more grievous than that of the others, because they alone dared, not even in secret, complain or implore help; and though Ariovistus was away, they dreaded his cruelty just as much as if he were there, confronting them; for while the others had at any rate the chance of escape, the Sequani, having admitted Ariovistus within their territories, and all their strongholds being in his power, would have to submit to every form of cruel punishment on learning these facts caesar reassured the gauls and promised to give the matter his attention remarking that he had every hope that ariovistus in return for his kindness and in deference to his authority would cease his outrages when he had finished speaking he dismissed the assembly besides these considerations indeed many circumstances forced upon him the conviction that this problem must be faced and solved First of all, there was the fact that the Aedui, who had repeatedly been recognized as brethren, indeed kinsmen, by the senate, were held in subjection under the sway of the Germans, while their hostages, as he knew, were detained by Ariovistus and the Sequani. And this, considering the great power of the Roman people, he regarded as an extreme disgrace to himself and his country. Besides, that the Germans should insensibly form the habit of crossing the Rhine and enter Gaul in the large numbers was, he saw, fraught with danger to the Roman people. He believed, too, that being fierce barbarians, they would not stop short when they had taken possession of the whole of Gaul, but would pass on into the province, as the Cimbri and Titoni had done before them, and thence push on into Italy, especially as the Sequani were only separated from our province by the Rhone, and he thought it essential to obviate this danger at the earliest possible moment. Moreover, Ariovistus himself had assumed an inflated and arrogant demeanour which made him quite insufferable. Accordingly, Caesar decided to send envoys to Ariovistus, requesting him to name some spot midway between the respective quarters for conference, and saying that he wished to discuss with him political affairs and matters of the utmost importance to both parties. Ariovistus told the envoys in reply that, if he had wanted anything from Caesar, he would have gone to him in person, and if Caesar wanted anything from him, he must come to him besides he could not venture to go without his army into the districts occupied by caesar and he could not concentrate his army without collecting a large quantity of stores which would involve great labor moreover he was at a loss to understand what business caesar or for that matter the roman people had in his part of gaul which he had conquered by the sword when this reply was conveyed to caesar he again sent envoys to ariovistus with the following message Ariovistus had been treated with great kindness by himself and by the roman people having in his consulship received from the senate the titles of king and friend since he showed his gratitude to himself and the roman people by raising objections when invited to a conference and refusing to make any statement or to inform himself about matters which concerned them both these were caesar's demands first he must not bring any additional body of men across the rhine into gaul secondly he must restore the hostages belonging to the Aduai, authorize the sequani to restore theirs furthermore he must not provoke the Aedui by outrages or attack them or their allies if he complied caesar and the roman people would be bound to him by lasting good will and amity if not then in accordance with the resolution which the senate had passed in the consulship of marcus messala and marcus piso that the governor of gaul for the time being should so far as the public interest would permit protect the Adoi and the other friends of the Roman people. Caesar would not suffer the wrongs of the Adoi to go unavenged. Ariovistus replied that the rights of war entitled conquerors to dictate their own terms to the conquered. The Roman people acted on the same principle. They regularly dealt with the conquered peoples, not in obedience to the mandate of a third party, but according to their own judgment. If he did not dictate to the Roman people how they should exercise their rights, the Roman people ought not to interfere with him in the exercise of his. The Aedui had become his tributaries because they tempted the fortune of war, fought, and suffered defeat. Caesar was doing him a serious injury, for his coming depreciated the tribute. He would not restore the Adui their hostages, but neither would he attack them or their allies wantonly if they abided by their agreement and paid their tribute annually. If not, much good would the title of brethren of the Roman people do them. As for Caesar's threat, that he would not suffer the wrongs of the Aedui to go unavenged, no man had ever fought Arevistus and escaped destruction. Let Caesar come on when he liked. He would then appreciate the mettle of the Germans, who had never known defeat, whose lives had been passed in war, and who, for fourteen years, had never sheltered beneath a roof. Simultaneously with the delivery of this message, envoys came to Caesar from the Aedui and the Treveri, the Aedui to complain that the Herodes, who had recently migrated into Gaul, were devastating their territory, and that even the surrender of hostages had failed to purchase the forbearance of ariovistus while the treveri announced that one hundred clans of the subi commanded by two brothers nasua and Simbarius, had established themselves on the banks of the rhine intending to attempt a passage caesar was seriously alarmed he considered it necessary to act at once lest if a fresh horde of subi joined ariovistus's veteran force it might be harder to cope with him Accordingly, he arranged as quickly as possible for a supply of grain, and advanced against Ariovistus by forced marches. After a march of three days, he received news that Ariovistus was hurrying with all his forces to seize Visantio, the largest town of the Sequanti, and had advanced three days' journey beyond his own frontier. Caesar felt it necessary to make a great effort to forestall him, for the town was well provided with military material of every kind, and its natural strength made it a most valuable military possession. The River Dubes winding round in a course that might have been traced with a compass and almost surrounding the stronghold, the remaining space not more than sixteen hundred feet where the river left a gap was occupied by a hill of great elevation. The banks of the river on either side touching the base of the hill. The hill itself was converted into a citadel by a wall which surrounded it and connected it with the town. Caesar pushed on by forced marches day and night, took possession of and garrisoned the town. While he was halting for a few days close to Visantio to collect corn and other supplies, a violent panic suddenly seized the whole army, completely paralyzing every one's judgment and nerve. It arose from the inquisitiveness of our men and the chatter of the Gauls and the traders, who affirmed that the Germans were men of huge stature, incredible valour, and practice skill in war. Many a time they had themselves come across them, and had not been able even to look them in the face or meet the glare of their piercing eyes." the panic began with the tribunes the auxiliary officers and others who had left the capital to follow caesar in the hope of winning his favour and had little experience in war some of them applied for leave of absence alleging various urgent requests for their departure though a good many anxious to avoid the imputation of cowardice stayed behind for very shame they were unable however to assume an air of unconcern and sometimes even to restrain their tears shutting themselves up in their tents, they bemoaned their own fate or talked dolefully with their intimates of the peril that threatened the army. All over the camp men were making their wills. Gradually even legionaries, centurions, and cavalry officers, who had long experience of campaigning, were unnerved by these alarmists. Those who did not want to be thought cowards said that it was not the enemy they were afraid of, but the narrow roads and the huge force which separated them from Ariovistus or the difficulty of bringing up grain. Some actually told Caesar that when he gave the order to strike the camp in advance, the men would not obey, and would be too terrified to move. Observing the state of affairs, Caesar called a meeting, to which the centurions of all grades were summoned, and rated them severely for presuming to suppose that it was their business to inquire, or even to consider where they were going, or on what errand. When he was consul, Ariovistus had eagerly solicited the friendship of the Roman people why then should any one suppose that he would abandon his loyal attitude in this hare-brained way for his own part he was convinced that when he came to know his demands and realized the fairness of his terms he would not reject his friendship or that of the roman people but supposing he were carried away by mad passion and went to war what on earth was there to fear or why should they distrust their own courage and his generalship the measure of their enemy had been taken at a time when their fathers could remember when the cimbri and teutoni were were defeated by gaius marius and the army confessedly earned no less credit than their commander and again in recent years in italy during the slave war although slaves were in some measure helped by the experience and discipline which they had learned from us this war enabled one to appreciate the value of steadfastness for the men whom the romans had long dreaded without reason while they were without arms they afterwards overcame when they were armed and flushed with victory finally these germans were the same whom the helvetii had many times encountered not only in their own but in german territory and generally beaten yet the helvetii were no match for our army those who were alarmed by the defeat and rout of the gauls could ascertain if they inquired that the gauls retired out by the long duration of the war and that area of Vistus, after keeping himself shut up for many months in an encampment protected by marshes without giving them a chance of attacking him suddenly fell upon them when they had dispersed in despair of bringing him to action and beat them by craft and stratagem rather than by valour ariovistus himself could not expect that roman armies were to be trapped by the craft for which there had been an opening against the simple natives those who pretended that their cowardice was only anxiety about supplies and the nearer roads were guilty of presumption for it was evident that they had either no confidence in their general sense of duty or meant to lecture him these things were his business the suquani the luchi and the lingones were providing grain and the corn in the fields was already ripe about the road they would shortly judge for themselves as to the report, they did not intend to obey orders in advance that did not trouble him at all, for he knew that generals whose armies mutinied were either bunglers whose luck had deserted them, or had been detected in some scandalous crime, and thereby convicted of avarice. The whole tenor of his life proved his integrity, and the war with the Helvetii his good fortune. Accordingly, he intended to do at once what he would otherwise have postponed. On the following night, in the fourth watch, he should strike his camp, so as to find out as soon as possible whether honour and duty or cowardice were the stronger motive with them if no one else would follow him he would go on alone with the tenth legion in which he had full confidence and it should be his bodyguard this legion caesar had always treated with special favour and on account of its soldierly spirit he trusted it in the highest degree after this speech a marvellous change came over the temper of all ranks and with the utmost ardour and eagerness for action took possession of them The Tenth Legion, taking the initiative, conveyed their thanks to Caesar through their tribunes for having expressed such a high opinion of them, and declared themselves perfectly ready to take the field. Following their lead, the other legions deputed their tribunes and chief centurions to make their apologies to Caesar, protesting that they had never hesitated or been afraid, and that they recognized that it was their general's business and not theirs to direct the campaign. Their excuses were accepted." By the aid of Divicaiacus, in whom he had more confidence than in any of the other Gauls, Caesar had discovered a route which, though it would involve making a detour of more than fifty miles, would enable him to march through open country. He kept his word and started in the fourth watch. After a continuous march of seven days, he was informed by his patrols that Ariovistus's forces were twenty four miles from ours. End of Book One, Chapters thirty through forty one.